Uh, so we are uh, continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this sermon given by Jesus is Discipleship 101, as we learned last week. Uh, in it, Jesus defines for us what it means to be his disciple, the ethics and the values of his kingdom, what it means to follow him. And as the authoritative teacher, Jesus has the right to define for us what it means to, to follow him, to be faithful to him. He directs our thoughts and our desires and our emotions. He instructs our marriages and our relationships with one another. He directs our use of power and money. He directs how we worship and how we pray and how we live on mission. And we need this direction from Jesus, from God's word. Otherwise, discipleship can become just this empty churchy buzzword that we use, but doesn't really have any meaning. Or we can treat discipleship in a very shallow and superficial way. It has no teeth. It has no cost to our lives. Or we can become very legalistic and start substituting man-made rules for what it means to follow Jesus. So we need the word of God. We need Jesus to come in and say, this is what it means to be my disciple. And last week, we looked at the first three Beatitudes. Uh, These are blessings that are pronounced over those who are part of the kingdom of God which reveal to us the type of person who will experience the blessing of the kingdom of God. And the first three Beatitudes, uh, as a a reminder from last week, the first, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who recognize their spiritual bankruptcy, that they have nothing to bring to the Lord, nothing to commend themselves to the Lord, and cry out for the mercy and grace of God. Blessed are those who mourn, those who see the sin and brokenness in themselves and in their world, and rather than trying to avoid pain or respond to it in anger, they cry out longing for the kingdom of God to come and restore what is broken. And then Jesus says, blessed are the meek, those who humbly and openly acknowledge their poverty, and they, they, they know that they are sinners, and they're willing to admit that in, to, to all those around them, and, and they're willing to invite correction and criticism. And they recognize that they are limited. They cannot fix what is broken in themselves and in their world. And so they stop trying to fight and strive and to create their own kingdom and their own sense of security, but rather trust in and long for the inheritance that Christ himself purchased. And so disciples of Jesus long for the kingdom. And this morning, we're going to turn our attention to two more beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and blessed are the pure in heart. If disciples of Jesus are those who long for the kingdom, disciples of Jesus are also those who have a desire, a hunger for the kingdom. And so here's my main point this morning. Disciples of Jesus hunger and thirst for righteousness, that they may be satisfied in God and see God. And so there's going to be three sort of portions to the sermon. Hunger and thirst, what it means to be satisfied in God, and then seeing God. So let's first talk about hunger and thirst. What makes you hungry? What, what gets your appetite going? Does this look appetizing to you? How, how, about, how about this next one? Got some, got some ribs there. Sorry, there's gonna be a lot of food analogies this morning. So if you, you didn't eat breakfast, I'm sorry. Um, what, about, what about this next one? You know, get some chicken. I mean, that, that looks, looks pretty, pretty tasty. What about this, this next one here? Yeah. yeah, okay, there you go. You had to throw a salad in there. Okay, gotta be healthy. There you go. What about, what about this next one? See, I, I don't know whether to be hungry or disgusted with that one. Um, th- this next one's less confusing. There we go. Okay. So do you want to know what the most disgusting food on the planet is? 
kid you not, if you, if you sat me down and said, bullet Cheerios or a bullet to the head, I would consider the bullet. Ask my wife. It, I, there's just some a gag reflex. When people start eating Honey Nut Cheerios around me, it just, mm. So please don't eat Cheerios around me. <laughs> but physically speaking, physically speaking, we all hunger, we all thirst, we all have appetites that crave certain foods, certain drinks, certain desserts. And appetites are, are an interesting product of both sort of hardwired, like the way our senses respond to certain smells and tastes and textures, but our appetites can also be trained and developed by eating certain types of foods. So, so there's, a, there's a both hardwired aspect and a, a sort of a, a part that can be trained and changed. But appetites are not just restricted to food. There are other things we crave, other things we hunger and thirst for. Things like comfort, things like money or possessions, things like love and acceptance, accomplishment, recognition, acceptance. Things like perhaps sex, things like knowledge, power, control. These are things that our soul and even our bodies will crave and long for. And we are both predisposed, is there something in our hearts that, that will naturally be drawn to certain things? And also those things have been shaped in us through our story and through our experiences. Now, these things are not inherently evil and wrong, but the question becomes, are they the primary thing that drives us, the primary thing that we hunger and long for? Because Jesus said citizens of his kingdom, his disciples are defined by a very specific type of hunger and thirst, not a hunger and thirst for food or for earthly pleasures and blessings, but something far greater. Verse six, Jesus says to his disciples, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. So Jesus is pressing on our appetites. What do you crave? What do you long for? What do you desire? What do you hunger and thirst for? What do you believe? If I just get fill in the blank, I will be satisfied. What are you filling yourself with? What, are you, what is your soul consuming? Because what you hunger and thirst for will drive you. It will direct you. It will dictate your actions. It will set the trajectory of your day and your week and your month and your year, your entire life. And here's what we all, all need to come to grips with related to our appetites. We have been discipled as self-centered consumers predisposed in our own hearts to want to build our own kingdoms. We chase after things that we think are going to satisfy us, make us stable, make us happy. But all of those things are about feeding ourselves and our own longings. We have been discipled by our culture and even listening to our own hearts as self-centered consumers. And we chase after these hungers and these thirsts with religious devotion Listen to how historian Yuval Harari in his book Sapiens describes our consumption in religious terms. The history of ethics is a sad tale of wonderful ideals that nobody can live up to. Most Christians do not imitate Christ. Most Buddhists fail to follow Buddha. And most Confucians would have con- caused Confucius a temper tantrum. 
In contrast, most people today successfully live up to the capitalist consumerist ideal. The new ethic promises paradise on condition that the rich remain greedy and spend their time making more money and that the masses give free reign to their cravings and passions and buy more and more. This is the first religion in history whose followers actually do what they are asked to do. And how, though, do we know that we'll really get paradise in return? We've seen it on TV. There is something religious in us in the way that we chase after this self-focused, self-centered consumption. We have a whole structure within our culture that, that mirrors religion. Our gospel, the good news of the American dream. Our heaven, a paradise of comfort, success, status, and wealth. Our righteousness, moral tolerance, and political correctness. Our confession, self-esteem therapy. Our places of worship, the office or the mall or Amazon, if you like online church, concert halls, sports stadiums, our small groups and community, Facebook and social media, prayer and meditation brought to us by Netflix. Think about that one for a second. Our pastors and our priests, entertainers and journalists and psychologists and politicians, the Lord's table. Man, that great new restaurant or that trendy new diet. Oh, when these things drive and define our hunger, our appetites are shaped to thirst after a kingdom of self. And disciples of Jesus are called to be different. Not driven and not defined by appetites for food or money or success or status or acceptance or sex or power or knowledge or pleasure and entertainment. Rather, their appetite is to be for righteousness. And what does Jesus mean by righteousness? What, what is this term? How, do we, how are we to understand what it means to hunger and thirst, or af, thirst after righteousness? Well, this term righteousness has three angles to it. There is a legal, there is a moral, and there's a social. So first, the legal. This is referring to right standing before God or my justifications. My, am I right with God? Hungering, thirsting after righteousness starts with hungering and thirsting to be right with the Lord, in right relationship to him. And so disciples of Jesus are those who know they are poor in spirit. All these beatitudes interconnect with one another. They know they're poor in spirit and they long for, I need to be made right with the Lord. I know I'm not righteous in myself. And so I need the righteousness of Christ given to me. And so they long for that. They long to be in intimacy and with, with the Lord and have this close relationship with him. They feel when they are alienated from God and when they are far from God and they hunger and thirst, Lord, draw me closer to you. And so they repent of their sin that ruins intimacy. They turn from their self-righteous actions and trying to earn favor with God and accept what Christ has done for them and receive the mercy and grace of God by faith. The moral aspect of righteousness. This is growth in righteousness and godliness. This is hungering and thirsting to be more like Christ. See, disciples of Jesus see the pride and the greed and the lust and the status seeking and the fear and anxiety in their hearts and they hunger for something more. See, they see the beauty and the truth and the goodness in Christ and they want that. They want to be more like their master, their king, And so when they see that in Christ and they see their own hearts, they long and they hunger to be more like Jesus. And if you are a disciple, let me ask you, aren't you tired 
of your sin? I mean, aren't you tired of the pride in your heart? Aren't you tired, tired of the lust that can go on in your heart? Aren't you tired of going to the internet to consistently feed that lust? Aren't you tired of the, the, the fear and the worry that consumes you and causes you to try to grab control and power in your life? Aren't you tired of living at odds with one another and others in your family or your friends? Aren't you tired of being an angry person? When you look into your soul and you see what's present, do you not hunger and thirst to be more like Jesus? To, to be conformed to his goodness and his truth and his beauty? to be set free from the sin that is in you? Are, are you tired of your life spent serving yourself and all of the, you sort of take stock in how you spent your day and it was all about you? Do you not hunger and thirst for good deeds and loving and serving other people? Disciples of Jesus hunger and thirst for the righteousness that makes them more like Jesus, to be conformed more to the image of Christ. And then there is the social righteousness. Disciples of Jesus aren't only concerned with themselves. Their own standing with God and their personal morality, yes, those things are important, but they're also concerned with what is happening in our world. They hunger and thirst for righteousness to spread throughout the earth. And scripture makes it very clear. God's design is that righteousness go throughout the entire world, that it's spread the kingdom of God spreads righteousness throughout our entire world. And so the disciples of Jesus care about this. We hunger and thirst for righteousness in the whole of human community. Think of it this way. We're not in a holding pattern. Like, we're not just kind of buying our time until Christ returns. Like the kingdom of God is here. God's plan is advancing. His kingdom is advancing and we're part of that. And so we hunger and thirst for righteousness to spread and here's how Martin Luther describes hunger and thirsting after righteousness in a social way. He writes, The command to you is not to crawl into a corner and into the desert, but to run out if that is where you have been and to offer your hands and your feet and your whole body and to wager everything you have and can do. A hunger and thirst for righteousness that can never be curbed or stopped or sated. One that looks for nothing and cares for nothing except the accomplishment and maintenance of the right. Despising everything that hinders this end. If you cannot make the world completely pious, then do what you can. So the hunger and thirst for social righteousness drives us into our community drives us into sharing the gospel and seeing gospel renewal take place. It drives us into our world to do good deeds and to work for righteousness and goodness and justice. And so our hunger and our thirst for righteousness should cause us to want to see righteousness make our city officials and government govern with justice and goodness and fairness, that our courts govern with justice. We want to see righteousness bring economic opportunity to the disadvantage in our city. We want to see righteousness shut down that abortion clinic in Old Town Bellevue. We want to see righteousness bring healing to those who have been addicted to drugs. We want to see righteousness heal broken families, that angry and passive dads love and serve their families, that fearful and selfish moms give themselves to their husbands and their kids. We want to see the gospel transform society. 
Oh, we want to see righteousness bring love and honor and care to the elderly in our community. Oh, we want to see righteousness spread. Disciples of Jesus hunger for legal, moral, and social righteousness found in God through Jesus Christ. And here's Jesus' strong words to you. If you do not hunger and thirst after righteousness, one one of two things is true of you. At best, you are an immature follower of Christ. You're immature and you're following Jesus. You're not submitting your life as Christ has called you and he will discipline, he will disciple you because you belong to him. At worst, it means you're not following Jesus. You don't belong to him. You aren't his disciple. No matter how much you want to posture and pretend and go through the motions to try to make everybody think that you really belong to Jesus, if there's not a hunger and thirst in your soul for the righteousness that God brings, then you may need to examine whether you actually are in Christ. Because Jesus says his disciples will hunger and thirst after righteousness. So, If we hunger and thirst, the promise is we will be fulfilled. We will be satisfied. What does this mean? So for disciples of Jesus, here's our hope. The the call to hunger and thirst for righteousness comes with a promised blessing. You will be satisfied. God isn't just going to leave us hanging. He's going to say, you know, hunger and thirst, and I'm just going to leave you hungry. No, you will be satisfied. You will experience a satisfaction, your hunger will be sated. You will, you will it'll be like, yes, satisfaction, hunger. I want to feed that hunger, satisfaction comes. And so I want to look at what it means to be satisfied in God because there is a blessing that is both now present for us and future. And so let me illustrate it this way. So back in the summer for Mindy's birthday, we went to Dario's. Anybody ever been to Dario's? It was the first time we were there. Well, the reason we went to Dario's is because it, it was given, it's, it's burger was given like the top burger in Omaha. And being a burger connoisseur, I wanted to test that and make that decision myself. So we go to Dario's. And so we order a great appetizer. It was fantastic. Um, I ordered a, a St. Bernardus Prior 8, which is this wonderful dark ale that just was magic in the glass. And then I had the burger. And it was pretty incredible. Um, I don't know if it was the best burger in Omaha. I think that's Farnham House, but it was, it was amazing. Fries were amazing. Then we had beignets for dessert. It was fantastic. And after the meal, I sat there, and Mindy will tell you, with the most content, happy look on my face. I have never, literally, I have never been that happy after a meal. I wasn't stuffed. I wasn't like, oh, I feel bloated. I was just happy satisfied, content. Like if food can move your soul, it moved my soul. And in many ways, that is what we experience when we're satisfied in God. Not, not in this kind of physical through food, but at a, at a soul level, we are resting, we are peaceful, we are content, we are joyous. And, and how do we know we're satisfied? Well, one, I'm I didn't need to to eat anything else. I didn't need to run to a different restaurant. I wasn't thinking about another meal. I wasn't discontent. I wasn't anxious about something else. I was like, no, that, that was great. I'm just thinking about that thing right there and how satisfied I am. So we know we're, we're resting in that. We don't need anything else. Our hearts aren't discontent and restless for anything else. Does it mean that I never got hungry again? No. 
And for us to be satisfied in God here in this life means we will continue to hunger because we're not perfectly righteous. There's more for us to grow, more for us to experience the Lord. And so our hunger will come back again. But there's a difference between being restless and chasing after different things when we're trying to fulfill our hunger and experiencing true satisfaction in our hunger. Because look, there is certainly a type of satisfaction that comes when we chase after these earthly things trying to satisfy our hunger. It's the same kind of satisfaction that you get when you go to McDonald's. Look, does eating at McDonald's satisfy your hunger? Yeah, but you're hungry an hour later and you feel horrible. And nobody comes out of McDonald's going, my soul is satisfied. (laughs) And so when we chase after the things of this world, yes, there is a type of satisfaction that we can experience, but it leaves us restless. It leaves us looking for something else. It never satisfies because we're always chasing after something else. There's something in our soul that says, ah, not good enough, not enough. I, I need more. I'm not content. I'm not secure. And so we run chasing after all of this junk food for our souls. Here's the other side of it, the other problem. If our appetite is calibrated to hunger and thirst for McDonald's, can we truly enjoy satisfying food? Like, would it make sense if I was going to go to a Michelin star, like a three-star Michelin restaurant? This is like the highest type of restaurant you can go to, the most satisfaction you could ever get in a meal. If an hour before that, I ran to McDonald's and pounded a number one supersized, would that make sense? No, because I'm not going to enjoy the truly satisfying meal. And so if we are filling ourselves with the junk of this world, are we ever going to have a hunger and thirst for righteousness? Are we ever going to be satisfied in God? So in order to experience the true, deep hunger and longing that Christ is talking about, we got to get rid of the junk food. If we're ever going to be satisfied in God, we've got to get rid of the junk food. Stop feasting on the next job or the next relationship or sort of the next expectation and stage in life that once I get to this place in life, it'll be good. Stop looking for community and interaction on social media and Facebook as if that's going to satisfy us. Stop trying to take it, to be satisfied and our hunger and thirst satisfied in the next experience or social political cause or more money or more toys or a different house. All the things that we can feast on how we move away from those things, we can experience true satisfaction, true blessing, the blessing of the kingdom of heaven to be truly satisfied comes to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for God. As Psalm 107, eight and nine says, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul. He fills with good things. If your hunger and your thirst is for righteousness, here's the promise, you will be satisfied. God will give you the righteousness of Christ. He will be near to you. You can walk in intimacy with him. He will transform you and conform you into the image of Christ. He will set you free from those sins that you've held onto for far too long. And when we work for righteousness in this world, we know that no matter how difficult it gets, what's the final verdict? Victory. And so we will be satisfied in our pursuit of social righteousness because Christ is returning. 
And so disciple of Jesus, hunger and thirst to your heart's content for you will not be disappointed. You will be satisfied. And so finally, let's consider what it means to see God. Hunger and thirsting for righteousness leads not only to satisfaction in God, it helps us see the Lord. Jesus says in verse eight, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. So pure in heart carries a very similar meaning to righteousness. To be pure in heart is to have inner moral purity, to have truth in your inward being, as David says in Psalm 51. To be pure in heart means you are sincere, free from the tyranny of divided self. You know, you know that wrestle when you're inconsistent morally? One day you're, you're rocking it and the next day you're way off kilter? To be pure in heart means that you've been set free from that tyranny. To be pure in heart also means you aren't faking it. Your outward actions aren't a show. Your righteousness isn't skim milk righteousness. For in the words of Ron Swanson, skim milk is just water that is lying, that it is milk. (laughs) Our righteousness isn't a lie. It comes from a pure heart. And the emphasis in Jesus' statement is in inward purity. Inward righteousness that is sincere and not hypocritical. See, the religious teachers and teaching of Jesus' day emphasized outward action and cleanliness. They, they tried not to defile themselves with the grime and dirt of the world and of other people. And Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. On the outside, it's all painted nice and white, but on the inside, you're full of dead man's bones. You're rotting. And so Jesus is calling those who would posture and fake their righteousness and says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And so we must be confronted with this questions. Are we pure in heart? Are we faking it? Like, let's run the list. What are all of the things that we will do? Go to church, even maybe give to church. Vote for the correct political party. We don't swear or we don't get drunk or we don't sleep around. We don't watch certain types of movies. We can even homeschool our kids. Anything that we sort of put out there is, this makes me look righteous, But if we were to peel back the veil of your hearts, what would we see? Pride, anger, lust, gossip, self-righteousness, self-centeredness, a desire to build your own kingdom, your own status. Jesus calls you on your pride, calls you on your selfishness, calls us all on our hypocrisy. Because without this purity of heart, we will not see God. And consider there's there's two ways that our sight can be broken. One is structural, like our eye literally doesn't work correctly. So so it's in the structure. The other is obstruction. Our eye works fine, but there's something in the way. And so it's not, the problem isn't here in our bodies. There's something in the way. We got to remove the thing that's in the way. Spiritually speaking, apart from Christ, our eyes have structural problems. Apart from Christ, we cannot see the Lord. We're spiritually blind. And we need the Holy Spirit to to heal our eyes spiritually so we can see the Lord. And so if you are not in Christ, if you have not been purchased by Christ, you're not born again in Christ, then you will never be able to see the Lord, either in this world or in eternity. But for those in Christ, we have been given spiritual sight. The Holy Spirit gives us the eyes of faith to see Christ and believe in him, and follow him. And so through the eyes of faith, we see the Lord at work in the world. We discern his hand in circumstances. 
when things are challenging and hard, we can recognize, hey, the Lord is in that. The Lord is good. The Lord loves me and he is at work. I may not understand, but I can see him in this. And so in the eyes of faith, through a purity of heart, we see the Lord and disciples of Jesus want to see God in everything because we recognize this world is challenging. It is hard. It is painful. And so many things want to draw our attention away from our faith in Christ. But if we are pure in heart, if we are hungering, thirsting after righteousness, we will see God even in the difficult circumstances. But here's what can happen for us. Sin becomes an obstruction. Sin, sin mars our view. Uh, how many of you went and saw the, the solar eclipse back in August? You guys take time to do that. So it, some, some folks like traveled to the spot where it was like, you know, the you, 100% where you could completely see it. And, and it was kind of cloudy. And so some, some folks were able to find a spot that, that wasn't cloudy and they were, you know, the 100% visibility. And when they went there, there was this glorious experience. Like they saw the thing in its entirety. It was awesome. You saw videos of it if you didn't get to see it. But it was this amazing, glorious thing. This was my experience. I stepped out on my front porch <laughs> and it was cloudy. And I put the glasses on and I looked up and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And my neighbor walked over and we were standing there and we were like, man, I thought this was going to be cooler. We, we just really weren't that impressed because our view was obstructed. And when our view is obstructed by sin, we don't see the Lord as glorious. We don't see him in his beauty. We don't see him in his amazing providence in our lives. And so purity in heart allows us to see the Lord in all his glory, allows us to see his goodness in our life. And so let me ask you, if you don't see the Lord as good in your life, could it be your sight is obstructed? What is that thing obstructing your view? The Lord calls you to hunger and thirst for righteousness, that you may see him, that you be pure in heart, that you may see him. Disciples of Christ, we know it is no way to live to have our view obstructed. We want to see the glory of God. We want to see his beauty. We want to see his truth. We want to see his power. So let us work to remove all those obstructions. So church, there is great gospel promise for us in these beatitudes. We will be satisfied in God. We will see God. So let us hunger and thirst after righteousness. Let's feast on Christ in his word and in prayer. Let's feast on him in worship on Sundays. Let's be committed to doing good in our gospel communities, in our neighborhoods, in our families, and in our world. Let us remove any obstruction that mars our ability to see the glory and goodness and grandeur of our God. And so let us be a church defined by our hunger and thirst for righteousness. And let us go into this city and testify of that great kingdom. Amen.